Hi, this is Lily Anderson, and you're listening to Choosing Glory. This is going to be a relatively short podcast about Section 136. I didn't include it with Section 135, which is the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram. Anyway, there was plenty to say about Joseph and Hiram giving their lives, and I decided to do this one separately. This is about the beginning of the exodus of the saints from Nauvoo to the West. And of course, Brigham Young had taken over as the president of the Twelve, taken the leadership of the church, and thank heavens for that. Now, this was a really difficult time. Of course, the saints are trying to get ready for a trip they know very little about. They are trying to finish the temple. There are mobs that want to stop the completion of the temple. So this is the famous you know, description that has been given by Neil Maxwell, as well as repeated by Elder Oaks, and then again, Jeff Holland, that the saints on, working on the temple were basically working with a trowel in one hand and a musket in the other, trying to defend their right to complete this temple so that they could be endowed with power from on high before they go off on this journey. Brigham Young was creating lists of supplies that people needed. They're building wagons, handcarts. I mean, this is a migration that's going to last for years. But it's going to start here with these people in Nauvoo, and winter is coming. The Mississippi River rarely freezes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that it froze? Well, it really was considered a miracle, although it wasn't. that was not easy either, of course. I've told you before, I'm a big fan of Hugh Nibley's. Shortly after his biography became available, which was called Hugh Nibley, A Consecrated Life, I purchased a copy and read it. And there were so many great things in that biography about Hugh Nibley's life, but here's something that I also loved. And as a comment that Hugh Nibley wrote in a letter to one of his missionary sons, I'm just going to read it the way it is. It concerns this period in Nauvoo with Brigham Young leading the saints who have just lost the prophet and the patriarch. So Hugh Nibley wrote to his son, when the saints were driven out of Nauvoo in the middle of night and the dead of winter, Joseph appeared to Brigham and said to him repeatedly just two things. Tell the saints to get the spirit of the Lord. And let's just interject here that that's kind of the whole kit and caboodle right there of the gospel, isn't it? To seek the spirit, to seek the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost. So and to live by the spirit so that we can be directed and inspired and guided through life, knowing how God wants us to behave and to act in our lives and in our journeys and how to conduct that journey. So this is a huge statement. Tell the saints to get the spirit of the Lord. Clearly, we're being told today by our prophets this same message, to get the spirit, to understand how to receive revelation, to follow our promptings, to be quick to obey those promptings. So anyway, that's the first message. Now, remember, two things that the prophet Brigham received from Joseph Smith in these visits, which apparently happened repeatedly. So tell the saints to get the spirit of the Lord was number one. The second message, don't be in a hurry. Now, when I read that, I have to say, I was was kind of taken up abruptly because I'm like, wow, don't be in a hurry. I can almost imagine Brigham Young, at least if he had been like me, he would have been looking heavenward and saying, really? Like, is anybody up there paying attention? Because they were in such a hurry. They're, they're trying to sell property that nobody will buy because they know it's going to be abandoned soon. I mean, there's so much that's going on here in the building of the temple and trying to get out of their places. They had just built this beautiful city and only remained there a few years. And off they go again. So 
It, they're being told, don't be in a hurry. Tell the saints to get the spirit of the Lord and don't be in a hurry. I love that. <laughs> so I thought, we spend so much of our lives in a hurry, in a rush. It's not a good way to live. And God warns us against that kind of hurry. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be quick to obey. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be anxiously engaged, but not anxious. That's kind of the point here. Don't don't rush it so much that we become anxious or stressed about this. The Lord is in charge. And if we can put our hand in his, we'll be led along. How many times does he tell us this in so many ways? Consider the lilies of the fields, you know. Like, fear not. He says, oh, that all the time, little children, you know, just do good and I'll be with you. So that doesn't mean there aren't going to be struggles and trials as we have abundantly seen this year as we've studied the DNC and as we have in our own lives. Nevertheless, let's work on getting the spirit of the Lord in our lives and let's not be in a hurry. Hugh Nibley continued with his own comment to his son on the few occasions when I have been willing to take that advice seriously. I have flourished like the green bay tree. Let's just think about that for a second. It's hard to take that advice seriously. Busy people, you know, do start to feel in a hurry sometimes, or any of us can feel like there are things pressing, deadlines are pressing. There are many things in life that present as urgent, but they're not vital. And this has been a conflict forever, right? The vital versus the urgent. Are we putting the things that matter the most at the mercy of things that matter least? And yes, they have deadlines attached, but are we letting them get in the way of the things of the kingdom, building our relationships, building Zion, learning the gospel so that we can obey it fully and completely in our journey as we learn line upon line, precept upon precept. So anyway, here's Nibley. On the few occasions when I've been willing to take that advice seriously, because he struggled with this too, I have flourished like the green bay tree. Isn't that beautiful? And then he goes on. The rest of the time has been a struggle and no need for it. I was so moved by this, so touched by this, that I went immediately to my computer. As I was reading this book, I stopped for a moment and I typed that section that I just read in an email to my entire family. I wanted to share it because I thought it was such great advice. And this came to Brigham Young at this time when things were so urgent Get the Spirit of the Lord and don't be in a hurry. What inspired counsel? And how tender is this to recognize that Joseph Smith came repeatedly to Brigham Young during this time? What an incredible gift and blessing that must have been. Now, this was a time where Brigham Young, and we don't have a number on this or a quantity, but apparently lost a lot of weight to the point that his clothes were not fitting well. They were hanging on him because there was so much demand on him as he was trying to prepare the saints for this incredible journey, this migration. And of course, Brigham Young has been referred to as the American Moses because he led this exodus. Right out of section 136, let's read verse 2. Let all the people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and those who journey with them be organized into companies. And he becomes extremely specific about that here in Revelation about how we are to organize these groups of people with a covenant and promise to keep all the commandments and statutes of the Lord our God. That is the foundation of these groups, the foundations of, of all of these saints that are moving west. Like, let them enter these companies, but with this covenant and promise to obey the commandments and the statutes. And then it goes on in, in verse 4 and mentions that this shall be our covenant. 
skipping a little bit, we will walk in all the ordinances of the Lord. So this is the foundation of Zion. Now remember that Brigham Young had been with Joseph Smith in Zion's camp, and he had seen how the prophet Joseph had organized the men into companies and how he had delegated some of this organizational ability and so on in the leadership. So this is really, you know, consistent order of the kingdom. But it's always founded on our obedience to the commandments and the involvement that we make to and the commitment we make to walk in the light of the ordinances of the gospel that we have received. And then this, the Lord further reminds the saints in verse 22, I am he who led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and my arm is stretched out in the last days to save my people Israel. This is really important because we have this archetype, don't we, where God asks us to come out of Babylon. He always invites people to come away from Babylon, come out of the world and be separate. And in order to really separate ourselves, there seems to be a necessary sojourn in the wilderness. Like we don't just go from Babylon to Zion. There is this wilderness time. And what happens in the wilderness? Well, we unload worldly things. I mean, think about how many times they talked about in some of the historical reports that what these pioneer trails that went west and not just to the Salt Lake Valley, but the Oregon Trail and the people who are going to the California Gold Rush and things like that. And they would start out with a wagon or a handcart. And as things got tough, they took things out of the wagon or the handcart and left them on the side of the trail. So people coming along afterwards saw some you know, items of seemingly great worldly value that were left on the side of the of the trail because they could no longer carry them. And isn't that a beautiful reminder that that's kind of what we're doing as we leave Babylon is we're sort of offloading, you know, worldliness, you know, our attachment to stuff, our attachment to our own property, our attachment to, you know, the, the pleasures of Babylon, to the natural man and the pleasing of the appetites. And as we offload these we are being prepared for Zion. This is a refining time. And that's what was happening when Moses left Egypt with the children of Israel. They went into the wilderness. Now, those people were pretty weak. And there was a generation who was ready to immediately go back and worship idols and make their own idol, their own golden calf. And so part of that wilderness period for Moses and the children of Israel was, you know, so that that particular generation could sort of die off and that they could at least start again as they went across Jordan and into Israel. But we have this same opportunity to to take our trials and our struggles as wilderness experience and realize that there needs to be this time where we, we decide what really matters and what doesn't. What is of value and what isn't? What do I want to keep in my life? And what do I need to get rid of or offload or be done with and say, get thee behind me? And then be more refined, more prepared, carrying a lighter load of things of true value that are vital, not just urgent. Anyway, great, great archetype. It's a great archetype. And all of us need to have a portion of that idea in our minds as we go through our struggles so that we don't waste that time in the wilderness. We also see here in section 136 in verse 17, fear not thine enemies. This is a familiar message from the Lord to his children. He doesn't want us to be afraid of, of man. And this was a message he gave to Joseph Smith right there with the, you know, 116 manuscript pages incident that you should not have feared man more than me. So here it is again, go thy way and do as I've told you and fear not thine enemies for they shall not have power to stop my work. It might look like they do, but they really don't. It's an illusion of this world. Verse 18, Zion shall be redeemed 
in mine own due time. We've talked about what that phrase means. Not as soon as you want, but it will happen in the Lord's time. Verse 19, and if any man shall seek to build up himself and seeketh not my counsel, he shall have no power and his follies will be made manifest. That, that's a good warning that this is never about self-aggrandizement or looking for recognition. Those things are contrary to building up Zion. Verse 30, again, Fear not thine enemies, for they are in mine hands, and I will do my pleasure with them. But again, in mine own due time, he always says, or we understand from other revelations as well. And this is a tough thing. We see so many people suffering right now because of the unrighteous acts of others. It could be family members. It could be neighbors, friends, people that they've done business with. It could be an ex-spouse. And the way our judicial system is, things aren't always done in the best way when it comes to visitation or custody or whatever. And you see so many people that are suffering because of these things. But the Lord tells us repeatedly to fear not thine enemies. And again, I will deal with them in mine own due time. And then verse 31, my people must be tried in all things. And all of this is wilderness experience. All these times of injustice it can be hard when it involves our children of all things. You know, that is so tender. And to see our children influenced by an unrighteous parent or other situations that we cannot control, very painful. And yet it's wilderness time. What can we offload? What can we toss out of the wagon to lighten our load as we go into Zion prepared for what God wants to give us there? And then he goes on, and that they may be prepared to receive the glory. Isn't that what we just said? Good heavens. That I have for them, even the glory of Zion. And he that will not bear chastisement is not worthy of my kingdom. Now, there's another great verse here that follows in verse 32, right after. Let him that is ignorant learn wisdom by humbling himself and calling upon the Lord his God, that his eyes may be opened, that he may see, and his ears open, that he may hear. I love this verse. I mean, he's just, he's just laying it out there pretty straightforward. Let him that is ignorant learn wisdom by humbling himself and calling upon the Lord as God. That's the pathway to wisdom is to recognize how ignorant we are. I mean, how many prophets have told us that? I mean, Moses, after this vision, you know, for this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I had never before supposed. Like, I really didn't realize how infinitesimal we are next to the glory of God, his light, truth, and supernal intelligence. So, yeah, let me just acknowledge my ignorance. Call upon the Lord humbly, and he will open my eyes, open my ears, so that I can receive his glory. That's how we acquire wisdom, is by humbling ourselves, acknowledging all that we don't know, all that God does know. So important, and we have so much arrogance and pride in our world, do we not? And it's really impossible to become wise when you think you already know everything, or at least you know more than God, or more than the prophets. These things are death. They are spiritual death. Going back to a few more things said about this movement West, when the individuals in the advance company expressed concerns to the prophet Brigham that they might not reach their destination in time to plant crops, Brigham declared, well, suppose we did not. We have done all we could and traveled as fast as our teams were able to go. If the saints had done all they could... He would feel just as well satisfied as if they had a thousand acres planted with grain. The Lord would do the rest. He went on, I never felt clearer in my mind than on this journey. My peace is like a river between my God and myself. Now look at this concept. This is a really great idea here. And something 
so important for us in the development of our faith, in growing our faith. So what's he saying? Again, if you've done everything you can and, and we righteously complete our tasks and we do what the Lord has put before us, not perfectly because we're not perfect, but, but with a diligent effort, with an honest effort to be obedient to the will of the Lord, then that should make us feel more satisfied or confident as if we had planted a thousand acres of grain. In other words, if we're doing it ourselves, you know, that's the arm of flesh. And we should do all we can using that blessed arm that we have been given that does have opportunities, that does have the strength and the power to work if we will apply it. But if we can't do what what we need to do, the Lord can take care of us. Again, thinking of Moses and the Exodus, they received manna in the wilderness. They weren't in a position and the Lord wasn't putting them in a position at that time where they could plant and then harvest. So he said, as long as you are in this wilderness that I have commanded, I'm going to provide you with manna. You just have to go pick it up in the morning. And their faith had to be that it would be there the next day too, because remember, if you kept it, it would rot and stink so that it couldn't be stored and eaten later. He wanted them to depend on the arm of the Lord, not their own arm, even if it was their own obedient arm or the hardworking arm. So again, just reading what Brigham Young says, if the saints had done all they could, he would feel just as well satisfied as if they had a thousand acres planted with grain. The Lord would do the rest. Really an important principle. And the Lord does stretch our faith if we'll let him. If we rely on him, he can fulfill his promises. Those harvests don't look like the ones we thought they would look like, right? But that's where our faith grows and because we know that God will make up the difference and he will provide in whatever way is right in his eyes that can continue the process of refinement and, and qualifying for the kingdom. Brigham also declared on occasion that he would rather travel with 10 righteous men who would keep the commandments of God than the whole camp while in a careless manner and forgetting God. Well, that makes perfect sense. And then the following day, he he declared that he wanted the company, again, to covenant, to turn to the Lord with all their hearts and reminded them to act like a covenant people. I have said many things to the brethren about the strictness of their walk and conduct when we left the Gentiles. If we don't repent and quit our wickedness, we will have more hindrances than we have had and worse storms to encounter. Now that's saying quite something considering they've just been chased out of Missouri not that long ago and now they're being chased out of the beloved city Nauvoo. If we don't repent and quit our wickedness, we will have more hindrances than we have had and worse storms to encounter. Remember that the Lord obviously knew that there were innocent saints that suffered in any of those circumstances and other places where they had been chased out of before Kirtland and New York and so on. Nevertheless, he also comments in the DNC on occasion that some of the chastisement that came to the saints was because they didn't repent, because they were involved in behaviors that were not according to their covenants. So always important to look at, you know, what's going on? Is there something I can do to be more worthy of blessing and protection? And if there is not, if I am being diligent and faithful with my eyes single to Christ, then then this is further refinement. This is to help me become less attached to Babylon, less attached to the world, and more focused and preparing to be part of Zion. Then it continues, the story continues, having reproved with sharpness, which of course refers back to section 121, he then very tenderly blessed the brethren and prayed that God would enable them to fulfill their covenants. 
Brigham prayed for his people, while we, as we should pray for our stewardships. While the Vanguard Company, that's the, the beginning, the scouting company that you know, went first, had traveled less than 300 miles in 1846. So remember the prophet Joseph died in 1844 with his brother Hiram. So in 1846, as they are departing Nauvoo, this first company had traveled less than 300 miles in that year, an average of a little more than two miles per day for the days that they traveled. That's a tough journey. That is a tough journey, two miles a day. The first pioneer company, and this is the general company of the saints, traveled more than 1,000 miles in 111 days, averaging more than four times the distance per day over the previous year. That's extraordinary. The Lord did require so much of these people, and then the faithful were blessed, and things I'm not going to say became easy, but they were strengthened. Like the people of, of Alma, who had been converted and baptized there at the waters of Mormon, the Lord strengthened them that they could bear the burdens. So many amazing blessings that came to this people. During this time, we've heard so many of the miracles. I'm so glad that so many artists have written songs, poems, and stories. And we've seen movies now of some of these events and some of these remarkable people. Well, I'm going to wrap up section 136 with... This reminder, we all need to come out of Babylon as we continue to be invited by our current prophets today. Our living prophet, Russell M. Nelson, and all the apostles are inviting us to leave behind the world and to come into the wilderness where we can be refined, we can offload the junk, <laughs> offload the, the non-essential, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't deal with the urgency of deadlines. We have to pay bills and put gas in the car and f- put food on the table and so on. Nevertheless, Let's not neglect the vital, the preparation for becoming that Zion people. We can do it, brothers and sisters. Let's build Zion. As always, thanks to my husband, Chris Anderson, and to Doug Larson of Point Digital. Take care.